Hello, and welcome to What is Innovation? The podcast that explores the reality of a word that is in danger of losing its meaning altogether. This podcast is produced by Outlast Consulting, LLC, a boutique consultancy that helps companies use innovation principles to solve their toughest business problems. I'm your host, Jared Simmons, and I'm so excited to have John Mark Outerslice. John Mark Outerslice is the executive director of CityLink Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. He's also a personal friend, and I am excited to welcome him to the show today. Uh, welcome to the show, John Mark. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. There's so many places we could, we could go, and I, I'm excited about the conversation. You've done so many different things. Been a consultant, you've you know been in operations, you've uh, you know worked at companies like you know Chiquita and, and a, a lot of other large companies. Um, and I'm most intrigued and inspired by your nonprofit work, which is sort of where we met, and you've continued that that uh, that work uh, into this this uh, this amazing uh, organization you've built. Uh, and I'm I'm excited to to talk to you about your thoughts on innovation and explore a bit about. CityLink, uh, and, and what you've got going on there. Awesome. So I like to kick off every conversation with the same question. Uh, what, in your mind, is innovation? I believe innovation is activating insights. Activating insights. Okay, tell me more about that. So I think that um, there's a lot of innovative ideas. There's a lot of innovative thoughts. Um, for me, a lot of times, those insights have come from taking something you see in one place and reapplying it in a different way in a different environment or different context or taking two ideas and combining those into one. Mm -hmm. But I think the world has a tremendous amount of incredible ideas, um, but the activation of those and the action orientation around bringing those to fruition mm -hmm. is where things go from a beautiful concept to difficult implementations. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it's really around the activation where I see innovation go from the conceptual to the practical. Right, right. And in that in definition of innovation, uh, that activation, you know, I'm a chemical engineer, uh, can't shake it. But when I hear activating, activating, I think of activation energy. Yes. And you're one of the most energetic guys I know uh, and particularly passionate about the, this space. Um, tell me about the importance of energy in kind of activating those in, insights. Yeah, I think um, that I once heard a quote that the, the richest land in uh, kind of all the world are the grave sites because there are so many uh, unborn ideas that want to die there with people. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things that I've seen in my life in a large part in the organization that we met at Get Back Cincinnati mm -hmm. um, in other areas is a lot of times people either are overwhelmed by the complexity of a challenge that they're faced with or are thinking at a scale which is just kind of very personal. And I think that there is a really unique space where you can see a opportunity and what I've been really fortunate to be a part of is when you have a group of people come together, you can actually see large scale ideas take shape 
and come to fruition and then continue to evolve and unfold in amazing ways. Mm. But if it just stays an idea in your head, to me, that's a great idea, but it's not innovative because it hasn't like the rubber hasn't met the road. Right, right, right. Now, you and I have traveled the world together. We've built houses in on multiple continents uh, together. I'm thinking in particular about a, a specific day in the uh, hot sun in, in Chechere, Ghana, where my body was saying, it, it's time to stop. We've moved enough bricks. We've shoveled enough, you know, and there, you know, you, you have a way of kind of convincing people to do a bit more, to be a bit more, to push yourself a little harder and a little farther than you think you can in service of a, of a broader goal. And I think that aspect of innovation, the being able to not just activate insights um, to drive uh, outcomes for, you know, with your own direct impact, with your own direct effort, but being able to inspire that energy in others, I think is, is something you uniquely have a gift at. I was still tired and I was not super happy until asked at the end of the day. But, uh, but I definitely did more than I thought I could. And I was happy with the outcome that we were able to create for, for the family. Yeah, well, thanks for saying that. My wife jokes that I consistently underestimate the time and effort to achieve things. Yeah. And so I'm either naive or an optimist, but I think that especially with groups, there's, there's an incredible capacity there that just needs to give, if you give a little structure, just incredible things can happen. And we saw that, you know, when Charlie Hall, who leads a, a water company here in town, kind of kept surfacing this idea of like, hey, what if you guys did a Thanksgiving meal? I've saw, seen it down in San Antonio and I think you guys should do that. And finally, we just said like, great, let's do it, right? And so we launched uh, Fall Feast the first year. It was, it was great. Um, Carson Palmer came and served, I think we had about 300 guests and the Belton Bell Center. Mm. And then because we took that first step, a friend at Duke Energy Center, uh, Justin said, would you guys want to host that here, right? And so us taking that first step of seeing like, we can do this um, and, and it's not going to be perfect and it's not going to be, um, you know, this, this polished experience, but we want to do something uh, led to that now being the largest um, kind of meal where people from different parts of our community come together to give thanks at Duke Energy Center and they're routinely serving over 5,000 people um, with a suite of now healthcare services, clothes that are available, wellness checks, haircuts, and all these things that the next generations of leaders have added on. But none of that would have been possible if that first group um, didn't take action and if Charlie didn't have that idea and wasn't willing to put his own kind of skin in the game to make that happen. So I, I'm just a big believer in taking that first step in, in kind of moving forward. Wow. I remember the first fall feast. Uh, I did not realize it had grown to that magnitude. So I'm a little stunned and uh, really excited to hear that because it was a very small group that literally was putting up flyers and putting bird prints on the sidewalk to, you know, lead people to this. I remember those nights and uh, 
in the complaints from the city manager. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hey, wanna, to wanna clarify, it was spray chalk, not spray paint that we were using. <laughs> you want to make an omelet? You're going to break some eggs. Exactly. So yeah, no, that's a great that's a great example of, of kind of getting the ball rolling, that inertia, yeah, uh, and letting it roll downhill. That's amazing. And one thing that I don't know if you experience with music, but um, I am a hack woodworker and welder. Mm -hmm. And there is this moment of resistance internally I face when finishing a project or product, because when it's conceptual, it's perfect, right? Mm -hmm. And it is uh, beautiful and it's going to function perfectly and, it, and it's conceptual. And I found when I started building furniture that I would get to the point where I literally have all the cuts made and all the materials there and I'm ready for final assembly. And I found myself like pausing and like not putting the kind of final assembly in place. And I had to like understand and confront what was happening. Mm. And I think the reality is with everything I've ever built, I see all of the flaws once it's complete. Mm -hmm. And once you put it out in public, uh, which just for me means my house, but um, I walk by and I can see like, ah, that, that table leg is slightly off or like, oh, wow, there's a gap in that tabletop. And when it's conceptual, it's perfect, right? Mm -hmm. And you can think and talk about like, oh yeah, I'm going to build this tabletop and it's going to be beautiful and blah, 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 blah. Once it's made, all of the flaws of your creation are put out there. And so one of the things I've had to overcome is not letting perfection uh, the, the pursuit of new creations, new creativity, new um, ventures or new programs mm -hmm. and recognize that we're going to put something out and it's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be a start and we can build from there. Mm. Yeah, well said, well said. Thinking about the table <laughs> in your house, I cannot imagine walking past that and seeing a flaw. It's just a stunning piece of art. When I look at it, I see the wood grain, the the textures, the the curves, the lines, the, the shapes. And I, I just can't even imagine even trying to find a, a fault in it. But the way I can relate to what you're saying is it, perfect example is through music. My challenge with music is is kind of the opposite, that it's gone. Like when you're doing live music, when you're in front of an audience, that note, you can't go back and fix that note or that word, the the lyric or the the key that you missed, the the chord that you played incorrectly, it's out there and you can't back the train up and unsing it or unplay it. Yeah. So I'm hearing my mistakes while I'm still moving on to the next thing. And I think that's a great training, like you, you know, the, the process you described, I think it's a great training for how to continue to try to perform at your best, knowing that the things you left behind were not up to your standards, not letting that affect the next thing. And, and still being confident enough to, to keep pushing. Yeah, and probably recognizing that nobody caught the missed note that you played, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm still working on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it would be obvious if you stopped playing. Right. If you hit a missed note and you're like, that's it, I ruined the song, I'm out of here, right? right? Like, everyone would know then. But I think we can be our own harshest critics because we've got the the idealistic nature of the concept in our mind. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to the, the actual execution, we are the most cognizant of the 
kind of the difference or the gap between what our ideal was and what we actually put out. And even as like you as a business owner and you launching, you know, this business is you could have an ideal of what that looks like, but, but you probably see and are cognizant of like, here are the, the three things I would have done differently or five things I would have done differently when the public isn't aware of those at all. And I think that's the tension that you face when creating or innovating or putting something out to the public in that realm. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a great segue to getting you to tell me a bit about CityLink. Yeah. So after growing up in Michigan and going into the automotive industry, like you're supposed to in Michigan, <laughs> I, was, I was really, really fortunate that uh, went into a management training program, which was a clever way for them to uh, slide you into a customer service job and have you answer hundreds of phone calls from customers and seeing if you sank or swim. And then they rotated me around to um, international and marketing and uh, distribution and uh, customer service down there and then manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So what that did is it it gave me a really practical hands-on view of organizations, entities, structures, and all those things, which was great. And then I had a similar opportunity with uh, Chiquita Banana Mm -hmm. to do kind of the same type of thing. And there was this uh, tension that I felt from college through my career, which was how can I continue to kind of make an impact within the communities I'm a part of? And uh, I had actually gone back to grad school between my first corporation, Federal Mogul, and then Chiquita uh, and gotten a degree in um, economic policy and kind of uh, sustainable growth and all that fun stuff out at Thunderbird. Mm. And I found myself back in corporate, which was great opportunity, but there was this tension that was always there. And um, one thing that I was advised to do um, by a mentor was like crafting that personal mission statement. Um, And when I looked at my experiences and everything else, it was really clear that I felt as if for me, God had created me to create um, large scale um, approaches to social challenges. Hmm. And in my mind, you know, based off of my work with Chiquita and, you know, the stuff that we did together, you know, going around the world, I thought that was going to be an international development. And um, after Katrina went with our friend Joe and, and, and worked on the rebuilding there and felt hmm. like there was a calling for our church to go there throughout a crazy idea. Uh, I think this is another part of like the innovators journey of like, you, you have this desire to be on the opposite spectrum of the emotional kind of challenge that you may be facing. So I went to this big church that we're a part of and said like, hey, we're supposed to bring 300 people to New Orleans to help rebuild next year. And they were a little, you know, understandably skeptical of like, uh, can you really pull that off? And I was like, no problem, no problem at all. We've got a group of friends, they're gonna help do this. It's super easy. Tell us the, you know, go and we'll flip the switch. So six months later, they're like, okay, do it. And I was like, oh gosh, this is going to be hard. And like, and so uh, through that, I got to know them um, and we were able to bring uh, Cincinnati, I think over 2000 people down to help rebuild New Mm. Orleans. Mm. And there was a moment there where like, it was just really clear to me standing in the back of the room and watching people prepare to go help our country with what was a, for me, a a profound crisis of identity of, do we really care for our neighbors? Mm -hmm. And do we really uphold and uplift all members of our community in the same way? 
And um, we got to see kind of an incredible partnership form with a really inspiring uh, pastor, Pastor Luter down in New Orleans. And through all that, I was just reminded of like, wow, like given the chance and, and given the support from friends and family and others, really incredible things are possible. Um, and so I was approached to see uh, about leading CityLink Center. And quite honestly, I, I was kind of like, oh, you got the wrong guy. I'm supposed to go international. Then I looked and it was an opportunity to launch a large scale approach to a persistent challenge of generational poverty in our city. Mm. And it lined up with everything that I had said I wanted to be a part of. Mm. And our, our church was going to put $10 million into creating this center. Wow. And um, I was very naive, having never worked in social services or human services. And I think that the benefit that we had is we were starting from scratch. Mm. And we just came forward and said, you know, at the time, we're going to address the, the challenges that our, our neighbors face with a very complex system of support for individuals with very little time and money to navigate. And we're going to attempt to resolve the tension that um, really good social service providers feel of trying to stay in their core competency of maybe financial education or mental health or child care and recognizing the folks that they're working with are holistic people who have um, different aspects of their life that may affect them in different ways and, and have spillover effects, positive or negative. Right. And so we created this model, which essentially co-locates a bunch of agencies in one place. It integrates it. So it creates a client-centered experience mm. where a client walks through our doors and they have uh, one conversation, one person that they work with to help navigate them to the different services uh, to achieve the goals that they've set for themselves. And then we mobilize volunteers to walk alongside them in the, in the process. And so what we unintentionally created was a incredible longitudinal correlated data set to help us really understand what's occurring in our clients' lives and then use that to drive continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been a, a journey of just continued learning, which has been exciting. Right. That is exciting. It's the definition of innovation. It's your definition of innovation, you know, activated this organization based on these insights. And it's a continuous process of continuing to bring energy to uh, turn these insights into, into impact within the community. Just for people who may not be familiar, Basically, the, these are folks who would normally have to go to seven or eight different municipal or, you know, uh, federal programs to seven or eight different places and seven or eight different conversations. You've, you've not only co-located it, but you've created a through line to give it almost a narrative walk for, for folks. Yeah. And, and something I previously did not think about or appreciate because when we were doing the landscape assessment and we were really fortunate to have a great team that preceded me with a, a tremendous amount of research and a bunch of Procter and Gamble folks who did an extensive amount of market research, you look and say, we have 86,000 people in poverty, but we have over 2000 social services spending over a billion dollars a year. Mm. And so they, you know, had the great insight of our community was program rich, but system poor. Mm -hmm. And the insight that I, I think everyone can relate to is we're asking individuals 
to go from place to place, walk into strangers and say, this is why I need your help. Mm-hmm. And I am somebody who will try and move a couch upstairs instead of asking a friend for help. Mm-hmm. How much more are we asking of individuals to walk through doors, meet perfect strangers and say, I need your help only to find out maybe you came on the wrong day, you, you're the wrong kind of family composition or income level. Right. And so we've asked people just to go from place to place to place and repeat a story of their deficits. Mm. And, um, and that can lead to this, just this emotional resignation of these organizations aren't really there to help me and um, this is just too complex and my life can't really change. And so the, the whole foundation of the, our launch was that we wanted to create that client-centered process where they come through and they just have one conversation um, and so we were able to aggregate the qualifying criteria across the 14 agencies in-house, collect that information once, have them sit down with one person who's on our team, a service coordinator, have that conversation once. And so what we're really trying to do there is, is bring a level of uh, honor and dignity and respect to individuals to prevent them from having to, one, navigate the geographic kind of barrier that you described. It would take somebody over seven hours to get to all the agencies that are inside this building. And two, the emotional barriers of really just telling your story over and over to strangers. So that was our original kind of founding premise of why we were launching this model. Fascinating. So what's next for CityLink? We're talking about innovation. We're talking about moving things forward, but what's next? Yeah. There's a great article we read. It was about the kind of data and analytics revolution that took place in baseball. And it was called How the Curious Won. Mm -hmm. And I think that we, again, didn't know what we didn't know when we entered this space. And so our premise was um, we've got all the right ingredients in town and we just need to pull them together in a different context in order to better serve our clients. What I've come to appreciate and believe is that we've got some fundamental issues with our sector as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the organization that you and I have been a part of called Praxis Mm -hmm. labeled this um, as two fundamental flaws in the the nonprofit structure. The stakeholder gap, uh, which is Um, our clients are not our paying customers. Mm -hmm. And so therefore we are shielded in the nonprofit sector from the the market forces that would typically drive innovation and typically drive efficiencies. You can have a uh, a nonprofit who doesn't have good outcomes survive for decades um, because they tell a good story and they show a lot of activity. So it'd be like uh, a burger joint that you know, buys a lot of ingredients and flips a lot of burgers, doesn't have any sales and, but tells, has a great PR campaign. And somehow some independent third party is just funneling cash to them, even Mm -hmm. though needs aren't being met and aren't being satisfied. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a real fundamental flaw. And it goes hand in hand with the other piece that they identified, which is the nobility trap, which says, Hey, Jared, you're a harsh business person. I am an enlightened social worker um, and leading a social service agency. So you shouldn't ask me hard questions Mm -hmm. um, because I've dedicated my life to this. So we've lost two things 
that can drive innovation. One is direct market feedback that would drive changes in our sector mm -hmm. with uh, the economics associated with that. And then two is kind of the competition and constructive feedback and criticism that you see happen in the marketplace uh, through market forces and um, just through the clarity of understanding what your goal is. Right, right. I can see how that that sort of uh, dynamic could be reinforcing, self-reinforcing in terms of, you know, what keeps the lights on, what keeps paying your own salary, being completely disconnected from what you're generating, what you're there to generate, what the, the impact you're there to create um, in, in a lot of ways. If we think about those, that gap, the, the, the stakeholder gap, that seems to me, and again, you know, I consider myself an informed outsider to the space, uh, having dabbled a little bit in it for a little while. It seems like the, the more addressable and more easily closed of those two. If you can convince the stakeholders to connect their funding, their, you know, their input to the organization's output in a way that is that creates that reinforcing cycle. It seems like that can be a way of trying to start to, to work on that again. Absolutely. There's a great quote that we repeat often here in our walls um, that comes from the leadership challenge. And it just talks about why innovation is not natural. And it says that leaders must challenge the process precisely because any system will unconsciously conspire to maintain the status quo and prevent change. And I think being, when I was back in the consulting world, you know, a lot of things that we would do is we would go in and look at organizations or look at processes and you would map the process and drive standardization in order to drive efficiency, which is good. But you also, through doing that, are creating a lot of systems and structures to support scalable growth those systems and structures, um, I loved their, their verbiage of will unconsciously conspire. Yeah. So it's, it, it just becomes more and more difficult to make change. So when you look at our sector and you think about how things have been done for you know, centuries in, in the rapid growth of the nonprofit sector in the last 50 years, and there is that disconnect between feeling good about the work and actually doing good with the work. Mm -hmm. And so there are systems that need to be changed. And we are really fortunate that we're in current conversations with a couple of funders taking a creative look at um, how do we link our outcomes with your funding? Mm. And it was great conversation. And, you know, I think one of them was a little taken back. They were like, so you don't want us to write you a grant for X amount of thousands of dollars. Right. And we were like, no, we only want that money for our collaborative, which includes a slew of great local and national partners, mm -hmm. if we meet the outcomes. Wow. But it, it takes a risk for a nonprofit to do it. Mm -hmm. But I think that if we're truly, truly pursuing what we feel called to and what we are compelled to see, which is true economic opportunity for all of our neighbors to thrive, 
we have to take a look and say, what we're doing isn't working and what are the levers that we could use to drive change? And uh, our team is fully aligned around if there is another organization which can outperform us, they should get the money. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That is um, counter a bit to the system and it's unconscious inspiring, but a conscious correction for it is possible. You're demonstrating that. You're showing that these systems are not, uh, uh, are not, you don't have to have a fatalist sort of view of this. It's just acknowledging the challenge, getting the challenge out on paper in front of you, acknowledging this confirmation bias so that you can address it, not so that you can say, well, this is the way of the world and how things work. So let's just get back to, to reinforcing it. I think the way you take a quote like that and turn it into the foundation for an approach to overcoming it is important and novel and rare in the nonprofit world and innovative uh, by anybody's definition. How do you think about advice? So I'm sure you're approached a lot. You've built a successful nonprofit and, and a, a successful organization. I'm sure you're approached by uh, a lot of folks for advice. Do you have any advice for current and future innovators out there? Yeah. So I think that kind of what we've, we've touched on a little bit, a big piece of, of my formation was going really broad in um, my career. And I can't say that I loved every stint that I had, but I can really recognize how every stint has informed a broader view of organizations and structures that has allowed me to reapply distinct pieces in different areas. Mm-hmm. And I think we kind of, as a society or, or um, in the business sector or certainly in the nonprofit sector, we sometimes focus solely on specialization I mean, we're asking 18-year-olds to declare what they want to do for the rest of their life. And I think it's figuring out how can we rotate and and get that learning. And that can most naturally happen in larger entities or corporations. And so like taking that opportunity, and I joke about it now, but I I was getting paid uh, as a 22-year-old to learn from a really large organization. And so just going broad early on and having hobbies that make you think about things in different ways, um, exposing yourself to different individuals from different areas and challenging the ways that you think about things. All of those have helped me reapply different things that I've seen in a new context within the social service field. Yeah, I I can imagine that helps you connect the dots a little differently from from someone who might have taken a more specialized uh, view or walk through their through their career thank you for that yeah yeah it's yeah. personally helpful I'm, and I'm sure it'll be helpful to, <laughs> to others yeah thank you for your time john mark i i really uh appreciate you you joining us i know you're you're busy and the organization is growing and there's a lot of great things happening and i'm personally excited uh as, as a friend for your success and uh, generally it's inspired as a business person by your uh, success as well. And so thanks for taking the time to talk to us. That's awesome. Thanks, Jared. And uh, thank you for all the 
years that you have built into me and challenged my thinking and uh, challenged me to think more broadly about whatever I'm involved in. I deeply appreciate that as well. All right. Take care. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this week's show. You can drop us a line on Twitter at Outlast LLC, O-U-T-L-A-S-T-L-L-C, or follow us on LinkedIn where we're Outlast Consulting. Until next time, keep innovating, whatever that means. <laughs>